James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Let's hear God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would bless the reading and preaching of your word. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to meditate upon these things. We forget so much. So much goes into our heads. We process, we walk away, and we forget. We pray that you'd help us that we might not forget your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in our context, James is describing faith without works, and In chapter 2, verse 17, he clarified that faith without works is dead. And so pastorally, he's dealing with a a pervading, perhaps, sense in the early church that if one has faith in Christ, sort of an easy believism, if, if one has faith in Jesus Christ, works are unnecessary that works don't really matter. And that's in with regard to the, uh, the, the discussion of justification by faith. Yes, works are not the basis upon which we are justified before God. We are justified by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tell us. And yet James is concerned with the other part of that coin or the other side of that coin, the justified person in in which there is sincere faith, that person believes on the basis of faith alone, but that faith which justifies is never alone or without works. So what he's doing is he's, he's pastorally reminding us that the redeemed person who has believed unto salvation, who is trusting in Jesus Christ, does good works because God has ordained that we should do so. More so, the the Holy Spirit is at work in us, creating and enabling and equipping and calling and prompting and pressing each of us to do those things which please God. And he is working in us that which is pleasing to the Lord. And so James is concerned that there are people who are committed Christians who say, as long as I have faith in Christ... Uh, how I live, how I conduct myself in the world, and, and, and whether or not what I pursue as my highest priorities in life uh, don't really matter. And so he says, uh, in a provocative sort of way, in a way that does not contradict, as we've just declared and, and explained thoroughly before, it does not contradict Paul, who declares in Romans that we are saved not on the basis of works, but on the basis of faith. Faith in Christ, not just any obscure esoteric faith, 
but faith in Christ. People speak about being spiritual. People speak about being people of faith. Well, the important thing is what you're believing in. You must believe in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Genuineness of faith is in question in this passage. And, and he's writing to, church, to, to Christians uh, in the diaspora, spread throughout the world, Christians who have believed in Christ, who are trusting, uh, Christians who are spread all over. And, and, and they are the elect exiles. They are uh, of the dispersion. Uh, some are wealthy, some are poor. They're all of very disparate uh, backgrounds and, and means. Some are Jews, some are Gentiles. And, and, and some are men, some are women, some are boys and girls, some are most are grown up, but there are children here too, to which the word is written. They are all they are all Christians living Christianly in the midst of trials and difficulties of life. And uh, many of them they have trials, yes, but some of them have dif- difficulties and trials that that come from within themselves. And uh, James has already discussed the nature of lust and of the desires for uh, fleshly things and of the world. And so he's writing to a, a people beset by trials both within and without, dispersed throughout the world of varying backgrounds, and he wants them to understand the importance of living Christianly, of living a godly life. And so the tested genuineness of faith, as 1 Peter chapter 1 would say, as we reviewed, as we preached through that passage uh, some months ago, The tested genuineness of faith is what's in view here. And James says that the tested genuineness of faith is is proved out in the conduct of a godly life, in the conduct of a sincere and holy life lived to the glory of God. So immediately in verse 13, he asks the question, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. Good behavior. Or taken differently in a different uh, translation, good conduct. Or maybe even the question as to what is good life? Uh, uh, good behavior, ideal behavior is what's uh, literally in view. The word good is is different than, uh, than, than the word we ordinarily see in Scripture. James uses a very different word. Good is normally in Scripture agathos. It's it's something possessing the quality of goodness. This very thing is intrinsically good. But James James's word is kalos, which means beautiful or excellent or lovely. It's the attractiveness of a godly life, a life of with wisdom and understanding. It's it's the beauty of a life lived for God. It's the beauty of a, a holy life that's plain for all to see. So James is talking about the good life. He's talking about the good life. Now, I would say that each of us this morning, at least in some sense, wants to live the good life. But what is the good life is a good question. What is the good life? What is what characterizes a good life? Well, James says, who is wise and understanding among you? who is wise and understanding. Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Here is a person who is wise, godly, and attempting to live a good life, a lovely life, well-pleasing to the Lord. James says, well, 
Let that person, in his or her wisdom and understanding, let them show this, prove this in the gentle way in which they live their life and carry out good deeds. I looked up on positive psychology. What is the good life? I don't know if you know this, but if you do do a search of what is the good life, you're going to find a tremendous amount of information as to what characterizes the good life. Uh, So many Americans want to know and want to live the good life. Positive psychology says it's the science of human flourishing. A life worth living, they say. Material comforts, well-being, engagement in meaningful activities and work, loving relationships, belonging to a community. It, It almost sounds a little bit like church life, although not quite. Plato describes in the conversation that he has with his teacher Socrates in the Republic, he says essentially that the good life is not a person's reputation, but the state of a person's soul, and that is true. Socrates and Aristotle and Kant all discuss this subject. What is the good life? What constitutes a good and meaningful existence? And people have an innate desire and all for for a good life, but what characterizes good is not the same for all people. Many characterize goodness or a good life by, by virtue of of, 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 of their own sense of satisfaction with what they endure, what they partake of, what they take in. All really seem to, to agree, regardless of their take, all of these ancient philosophers, that behaviors as well as intellectual commitments do contribute to a good life. So it's not just, it's not just believing the right things and in isolation, and it's not just doing the right things in isolation. Here's a person who does all the right things, always behaves in just the right way. But internally, they're filled with strife and anger and bitterness. And they really don't like doing what they're doing. They're only doing it because they they intend to meet a social expectation or a norm that's been placed before them. Here's another person who does the right things but doesn't believe in anything just does them because that's what they're commanded to do. Here's, here's another person who, who believes all the right things, whose thoughts are platonic and wonderful, always thinking and seeking the good of others, but never actually doing anything. They always wish you well, but they never do anything that brings about that wellness in any other person. And they don't do anything for anyone else. They just think good thoughts. Maybe that's like what we... Here so often in our world, when some tragedy occurs, people will say, well, please send prayers to and good thoughts to this person who's suffering. I tell you, I'm here to tell you this morning, maybe this is news to some, but good thoughts and prayers to the individual suffering do nothing for that person. The truth is, prayer and intercession before the true and living God, the only living and true God, That alone can bring about mercy, blessing, help in time of need because his resources are unlimited. Praying to an individual and offering prayers to the person who is suffering does absolutely nothing for them. They're helpless. Their hands are tied. They can barely do anything for themselves. And good thoughts and good vibes do nothing. 
but actually doing something for them, now that at least translates into actual good behavior that will actually help another individual. Well, as these ancient philosophers have said, that behavior as well as intellectual commitment and a measure of faith, they match together to create that good life. James doesn't disagree with this. A good life for a Christian is an exhibition of the wisdom and understanding and the practice of wisdom carried with carried out with meekness. So he very much has in view the good life. And he's going to tell us what the good life is. And he's going to tell us that and show that to us and just by simply marking out two things. First, wisdom from below. And second, wisdom from above. Wisdom from below and then wisdom from above. And I'll have a third point as to how we can find that good wisdom. First, wisdom from below. He explains what that wisdom from below is. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. The wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Very strong words displaying earthly wisdom. Now let me qualify just a bit. There is such a thing as earthly wisdom that simply constitutes the wisdom that comes from common grace. In other words, when I go to a doctor's office, there's a certain amount of wisdom I expect them to have with regard to their calling. They understand how my systems in my body work. They understand how taking out one piece of my anatomy may work and help heal. They understand how where to enter surgically into my inner cavity. They understand the, the, the various drug dosages that will help bring about healing. They understand those things. That doesn't mean that's worth that that's demonic wisdom. That's just simply earthly wisdom that comes or finds its source in God, who grants all good things to his creatures. But James has earthly wisdom in view as it relates to fundamental commitments of faith and the activity of doing as it relates to human life and flourishing. And James says that there's an ungodly wisdom that is displayed in an ungodly life that we can easily see. It, it, it's, it's very easy to see when it's marked by bitter jealousy now, that's simply a spirit of an expectation of self-desert that an individual believes that they deserve better than what they have. And as they see another individual who, who they would place in a position lower than themselves believes that they have a right to what that person enjoys more so than that other person. And therefore they are jealous over them, but they are bitter because their own condition is less than the other person that they themselves imagine themselves to be in a higher position than. And so they are filled with jealousy and they are bitter over it. And so what they what 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 seems to be a key philosophical commitment for them is that they should receive better than most around them. That they have a right to good things uh, as defined by their own definition of what is good. That they have a right to be cared for and to receive tasty, delicious, wholesome, good things. 
that they should have the best-looking spouse, that they should have the best-acting children, that they should have the easiest life, that they should have the, the best things, that they should possess things which they themselves believe that they deserve. And if they don't have those things, they're filled with bitter jealousy. Well, in our generation, what we're seeing is bitter jealousy in the form of mass chaotic looting in grocery stores and bakeries and department stores where hordes and hordes of people bash down windows, drive their cars through the front end and go in and take everything. Little thinking that the people who own those shops and businesses will now be impacted and will lose a great deal. These people believe they have a right to take. We see bitter jealousy in our grubbing, grabbing politicians who are earnestly seeking to rise to a higher position, who want in the worst way to make the others who want their positions to be lowered, to look more foolish than they themselves, and for themselves to be exalted, their opinions to be longed for, heard, revered, worshipped. There's a lot of bitter jealousy out there in our world. It's Even though we may not see it that way, those who are influencers of our society who would put themselves out, show pictures of themselves in various poses and places, and want others to, as it were, follow them and become their followers and follow their opinions and hold their opinions in very high regard. There's a certain selfish ambition behind all of that, is there not? We live in a selfish, pride-filled, bitter jealous, false society. The things that you see online, the opinions that you hear, so many don't even believe what they say. They certainly don't live the way that goes along with what they say. They are false and their wisdom is false. It's all indicative of a person, people who are ready to jump at any moment, that bitter jealousy, that selfish ambition. They're ready to pounce upon the best thing they're ready to advance their own name and tear down the names of others around them kind of like that 14 year old who shot and killed his sister who had taken out he and his older brother her name was abriel baldwin she had taken the two boys out to shop at the store and the 14 year old was upset at what the 15 year old was getting there was a melee in the store they brought and they went home drove another half hour to get home once they got home they argued further. The 15-year-old told him to shut up. The 14-year-old went in, took his gun. I don't know how a 14-year-old has a semi-automatic weapon, but he walks out and he shoots her in the chest. The 15-year-old then, in defense of her, shot the 14-year-old in the stomach. Well, Abriel Baldwin, his, uh, his sister, his older sister, was going to buy him something for Christmas. He's dead, leaving behind three children. And the 15-year-old, his brother, is most likely going to prison because he shot in self-defense. All over an argument about what a 14-year-old was expecting that he should get for Christmas. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, ambition, false earthly wisdom. James gives us a threefold description. He says that kind of behavior and that kind of wisdom, that kind of, of, of activity based upon what's believed in the mind, that the individuals have a right to what they want. They deserve these things. Others shouldn't have them, but they themselves should. 
and that they deserve it, that this wisdom is earthly, meaning it doesn't come from heaven. It's earthly. It's created in the minds of man. It's earthly. It comes from the soil. It comes from the muck and the filth of earth. It's earthly. It's unspiritual, meaning it it doesn't come from God. It's not wise unto salvation. It's not These are not words that lead to truth. These are not words that are a light and a lamp unto our feet. They cast us into greater darkness, into deeper muck. More than this, James says they're demonic. It's demonic. Have you thought about that? The behaviors exhibited in the news so often, and people in our feed as we scroll up and down on Facebook or TikTok, or X, whatever it is. Really what we're seeing is a display of demonic dictated behavior. Demonic dictation that I should show most of my body or unclad myself so others can admire my body and take a good look at me and I can sell my image. Demonic that says that I want others to follow my opinion, revere my opinion above that of others, that that shows and displays that bitter jealousy, that selfish ambition. It's demonic. Pornography, it's, it's demonic. The idea that says that we should pursue our own self-gratification, it's demonic. The idea that's whispered into our minds that I'm jealous because I should have that. I should have that kind of a spouse. I should have this kind of a situation in my life. I, I, I should be advanced and growing. That idea that thinks only about self and not others. It does not love the Lord our God with all our heart, nor our neighbor as ourselves, but loves ourselves and ourselves alone. It's demonic. It's the suggestions of the spiritual forces in dark places who whisper into our understanding you should have that you deserve that you have a right concerning this thing and it's been trampled upon it's demonic the world that we observe in all of its debauchery it's demonic it's demon filled it's it's demon possessed it's demon prompted it's demonic in its wickedness and falsity, jealousy, ambition, selfishness, bitterness, earthliness, lack of actual spirituality, it's demonic. This false wisdom is complete and the direct opposite reflection of that wisdom that comes from above. Well, James tells us what the fruit of false wisdom is. It's disorder. It's disorder. It's vile practices. Disorder and every evil thing in verse 16. And so if we observe that in our society, what it really means is that our society is more informed by demonic and satanic influences than it is informed by God who is true and pure and holy and good.
The fruit of false wisdom is vileness and an increase of that kind of behavior, an increase in division, an increase in the harvest of worthless sin. Well, there is a wisdom from above, too, and James points us to that. His whole goal is not to cause us to seek after earthly wisdom, but to to seek for the good. The wisdom which is good is identified in verse 17. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And he tells us that the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So there's, for those who are practitioners of this wisdom, there is a yield of a harvest of righteousness if they do it in peace. So there's a wisdom from above, a wisdom which comes from God, a wisdom that leads to the good life, a wisdom that contributes to the practice of the good life, of a godly life, of a life pleasing to God, of a life that God marks out as good. Meekness. Meekness is one of those first qualities. Meekness. And certainly within our own, within my, uh, within the NAS New American Standard, it says gentle. But in the King James, it would say meekness, or, or, or in another version, it might say humble. Meekness is a hated concept. Gentleness and is a hated concept in our world, is it not? The world says that meekness is for wimps, it's for losers. In the ancient world, meekness was associated with groveling, ignobility, servileness. It was on a list of one of the, not virtues, but one of the the, the greatest sins to be meek. In the present day, a meek person is a wimp, he's a coward. But that's not what Scripture says. What Scripture says is that It is a self-subduing gentleness. It is a conscious intention to say, I do not have to be first. I will not pridefully be jealous and ambitious against and in the face of others. It's it's associated not with groveling, but, but being willing to give place to others first. Meekness is simply an approach at life that says, I do not need to come first. That my thoughts and my needs are not going to be the first thing and the only thing that I consider. But I am going to consider the needs of the other person too. There was a time once when I faced, uh, in a late afternoon, I was at a gas station. There was an individual that came over and he was threatening to kill me. He said it multiple times. He took steps towards me. I I had my own means of self-defense, and and I I could have wrestled with him or or done other things, but eventually the Lord got through my own irritation over this and my own thoughts, how how can I deal with this man and show him that he can't kill me? The Lord showed me that what, what I needed to do was to recognize that this man was a soul, and his life was valuable. And what he needed from me was to help him calm down. And so I did. I took a different tack. And in meekness, I asked him some questions. In meekness, I asked him, 
I accepted that he once again told me that he could have killed me and let him walk away. In meekness, I was willing to say, go in peace. Purity. The good life is filled with purity. God alone is the source of purity. This isn't, as one writer has said, a musty stuff prudishness. A a musty, stuffy prudishness. I think that's a good description of how generally people look at the idea of purity. Look at how many people, look at how people looked at the idea of a purity ring. I'm I'm not advocating for purity rings. I'm not advocating for even the ideas behind it. I understand where we are currently with it. And, and how false much of it was, this, this whole system. But just the idea of virginity, of purity, of holding oneself unstained from sexual profligation is ridiculed and scoffed at by the world. But purity is, it's that resplendent, glorious whiteness of God. It's that resplendent, glorious perfection of God. And he has granted to us to share in his holiness. There is something to be far more valued about virginity and purity sexually than to be filled with every manner of sexual experience. And to be so scarred by a misunderstanding of what purity and love and genuine good sexual gratification within marriage should be. We allow ourselves to become more stained by the world, more scarred by misunderstanding and the pursuit of filth than we are transformed by the renewing of our mind and walking in purity in God. And James is telling us the wisdom from God that we are to ask for, that he gives without without reproach, as he said in chapter 2, that we are to pray fervently for... It comes from the Lord. It's peaceable. It's meek. It's pure. God's wisdom is pure. It's also peaceable. Peace says ultimately that I peace is is opposed to self ambition. Now we're not saying that you can't desire to rise up in the world to seek a higher position in your workplace to to grow uh, to 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 mature physically or mentally or, or with regard to our, our understanding or truth doesn't mean that we can't go to college and learn and grow. doesn't mean that we can't hope to have a little bit more money and to be able to, 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 to have reasonable financial success in our world. But selfish ambition is the idea of advancing my own place without any thought of God and without any thought of others. Selfish ambition says, I want more simply for my own self-consumption. We're not talking about hard work. The Bible speaks often of hard work and of God's blessing, his intent to bless hard work. In Ecclesiastes soon, we'll read. Our elder will read for us that uh, the, the work of our hands is a gift from the Lord. It's, it's something that we should apply ourselves to each day, and that if we work hard, will not only eat, but God will bless. But selfish ambition has a a negative connotation, an earthly, demonic connotation or source. Selfish ambition is, 
I place my fir- myself first and foremost, and I advance myself in the world at the cost of others, and I lose myself and neglect others in the process. But peace, to live at peace, is to be opposed to selfish ambition, not stepping over people nor on them, but it is a determined mindset that I will be at peace with others. In other words, I will not take offense when they offend me. I will not be so deeply offended that I feel that in some small way I have to show my retributional, if that's a word, I don't think it is, but to in some way get retribution for the offense that I've felt simply by showing a, a lesser attitude or keeping a distance or not being kind or making sure that I let that person know that I am angry with them or I'm offended. But the wisdom which comes from God is peaceable. In other words, it pursues peace. Places not my own self-pride first, but peace with other individuals first and foremost. It's also gentle. We're not This is not a, a weak-wristed femininity, but it's strength under discipline, governed by love. The wisdom which comes from above is open to reason. There's a harmoniousness that, that listens. Oh, so many people don't listen. They just simply want to be heard. They want to share their story, and they're not interested in your story. They don't want to. Te- they don't want really to listen and to let you unburden yourself, and then to interact with and tell you something in in response to what you've just said. They so often will tell you their story. They want you to marvel at what they say. But the wisdom which comes from above listens and seeks harmony, and it's open to reason, and it's reasonable. It's also full of mercy and good fruits. The wisdom which God grants and the good life that pleases the Lord is filled with mercy and good fruits. Constantly thinking about how can I serve the Lord here in this situation? What does the Lord want me to do? What would please God? What would be a merciful thing to do in this situation? It's also impartial or without hypocrisy, sincere, truthful, honest, it's without prejudice. That's the wisdom from above. And and that's what leads to the good life. The good life for the believer is to walk in these ways, to be meek, to be pure, to practice peacefulness, to, to practice gentleness, to be open to reason, to be filled with mercy and good fruits, to be impartial and sincere, without prejudice, truthful, honest, not a hypocrite. And if those are your qualities, if those are the things you're seeking, then God will so bless and pour out his grace into your life that it will yield a harvest of righteousness, well-pleasing to your God. Well, how can we find this wisdom? James is not presenting a list to us this morning and simply say, saying, look, tick this off and do this and do this and do this. And if you do those things, you'll accomplish the life that will please God. Wisdom begins with knowing and fearing God. You cannot have this wisdom. You cannot buy it, as Simon tried to buy from Peter. You cannot buy this wisdom. This wisdom must come to you only through contact with the living God. Wisdom begins with knowing and fearing the Lord. 
there will be no godly life, no godly conduct, no good life if we don't begin with fearing God, reverencing the living God before whom we live out our days. And marking that every single thing we do and every thought of our minds, he sees it all. And with a godly intent to fear the Lord is to simply make, to bring every thought captive to Christ, intending that our lives should be pleasing to him. Living the beautiful life comes when we understand that God is the one who examines our lives closely. And James is asked us to examine the gifting of our local congregation, of our church, to look around. Are there any members with this perceived gifting? Are there any living that, that, that beautiful, lovely life filled with the wisdom of God that is from above? Follow their example of godly character. Seek wisdom, godly wisdom from them. Seek their counsel. Try to be around people like that. And then seek to be that yourself. James hasn't provided just that punch list I referenced a minute ago. Rather, this is what we, he's saying, not this is what you have to do. He's saying this is what you have to be. This is what must be your essential character. This is what must be flowing from deep within as a fountain from God. Not jealousy and selfish ambition and self-preservation leading to disorder and every vile or evil thing but purity and peaceableness and gentleness and reasonableness and mercy and good fruits and unwaveringness and sincerity. Those things would flow out of our person because God, God is present there. God, the Holy Spirit, has brought Christ to the center of our being and he himself is working within us and enabling and equipping and accomplishing all that pleases God the Father. God's intent is that all of us should be in relationship with him through Christ and that we must exhibit first Christ. We should exhibit Christ. Who is Christ if he is not pure and peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy? Is that not in verse 17 an, an exact description of the character of Jesus Christ? Isn't James fundamentally saying that those who believe in Jesus Christ mirror Christ, walk in the reflection of Christ. Those who believe in Jesus Christ have Christ living and welling up within them such that walking in, walking in relationship and reconciliation with him, our God, that we will inevitably walk in a way that exhibits Jesus Christ. In the end, if you desire this wisdom, you need Jesus Christ living within you. If you would live the good life, you need Jesus Christ living within you. If you would live a life pleasing to God, you need Jesus Christ living within you. If you would have the freedom from sin and earthly wisdom, selfish ambition, jealousy, disorder, and every evil thing that seems to well deeply up within you, you need Jesus Christ living within you. And simply put, all you must do is believe in his name and you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Christ is raised from the dead, that he is the eternal living son of God, that he lives even now to save you from your sins, 
surely Christ will come to live within you. And he will cause to spring up from within you himself, such that in your conduct and in your way of life, in your words, in the way in which you think about life, in what motivates you internally, he himself will be exhibited. The personification of the qualities of wisdom, he himself will live within you, and he himself will equip you, and he himself will live through you. Jesus is the wise counselor. He is the one who said, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He himself is the one who turned earthly wisdom on its head, who declared even before the very gates of hell, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Do you desire earthly wisdom or heavenly wisdom? Who and what is your source? Is it demonic activity that simply leads you to selfish ambition and bitter jealousy and every vile, wicked thing? Or is is it the wisdom that comes only from God? If your wisdom is from Christ and you have approached the Lord and you're asking of him, grant me wisdom. He gives wisdom freely without reproach. He is a generous giver, and he will give you wisdom to live the life beautiful. May he equip us, calling and enabling us this morning. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, our great Savior, we ask that you would enable and help us. Help us to walk in a way that is pleasing to our God. Let us Let our lives shine forth the light of Jesus Christ. Let our lives so exhibit the character of Christ that others, when they see and examine our lives, will see him. Oh, Lord God, we ask that you would help us, that we would flee from the earthly wisdom that is selfish and wicked, that is earthly, demonic, wretched, We pray, Lord, that you would help us to seek the wisdom from above that only comes by virtue of a relationship with and union with the Lord Jesus Christ and that only can be brought to effect by believing and trusting in him. Holy Spirit, come and do a mighty work amongst those who listen this morning. Come and work extraordinarily within them that they might truly believe in sincerity without hypocrisy, leaving behind the wisdom of the world and embracing the wisdom which comes only from the true and pure and sincere and without hypocrisy and glorious in all of his being, gentle, lowly of heart, Savior and God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.